0: Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Today is Wednesday, May the 19th, and we are looking forward to celebrating Pentecost this Sunday, and I think, and I hope we make the connection. I know uh, the pastor we have with us today makes a lot of great connections, but I think there's a connection between Pentecost and today's text, and we gather around the gift of the inspired and true word of God this next hour, and the word made flesh our lord jesus christ who is the true light and has made god known to us the light shines on us today as we conclude the 18th chapter of first kings you've heard the story in sunday school There's a drought in Israel. Elijah has set up a duel between the 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah on Mount Carmel against the one true God. One prophet left, one God. And what is going to happen? You've heard it a lot, but I challenge you to once again go through it slowly with us today to not only see uh, the whole story, but also to uncover the gems that also point us back to Jesus Let's dig in. The gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. A special thanks to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us be strengthened by God's Word this morning, we have with us Reverend Dr. Dennis McFadden of Fort Wayne, Indiana. Pastor McFadden, welcome back to Thy Strong Word.
1: Well, thank you. I'm glad to be with you.
0: Pastor, last time we spoke, or last time we studied, excuse me, that's what we were doing, was Holy Week. It was Wednesday of Holy Week, and I was so appreciative that you were willing to give me your time then. So tell us what's happening since Holy Week for you, your family, and the work that you do in the Lord.
1: Well, the big deal was my wife fell four weeks ago tomorrow on the eve of the 50th anniversary of our first date and she broke uh her leg in three places and for the last month she's been in uh, casts and jones dressings and the like with her foot up in the air and i've been doing the cooking cleaning and such and taking care of uh, dr luther our uh, Golden and uh, Mr. Calvin, or <laughs> Beagle, and having a, a four-year-old and a three-year-old every day from 7.15 to about 4.30. So it's been kind of exciting. That, but uh, well, Jeanette's yeah. hanging in there, and she'll have a few more weeks of casts, and hopefully she'll get back to walking sometime. <laughs> but that's what's happening with us.
0: Wow, wow. Well, let me start this way. You are the first guest I've had that's admitted the name of their dogs, So, um, and that's definitely a unique name he got there. The question is, uh, Dr. Doctor Luther or Dr. Calvin, who is the preferred Mr. dog? Mr. That's Calvin. That's question.
1: I'm sorry, which, which is what? <laughs> oh, Mr. Who's
0: your favorite dog? Oh, Dr. Luther, of course. <laughs> oh, <that's laughs>
1: they both great. sleep with us, though.
0: Oh, Lord have mercy. Oh, good for you. Um, yeah, I don't want to dismiss your, your, your beloved bride and the pain that she's been going through, but it is a, a true, oh boy, that's a lot on your plate. So I even appreciate more that you are with us this morning because of everything that the Lord has before you. Um, yeah. And anything else? I, maybe that's enough. I don't know. Anything else you want to talk about before we pray?
1: No, i have just just <laughs> visiting in the hospital and uh, doing Bible classes and uh, uh, doing a, a retirement home service every Friday morning and acting like oh. a retired guy.
0: Wonderful. Well, Pastor, today I want to do things a little bit differently. Because of everything on your plate, it, I, can I pray for you and your family oh, as please, you uh Oh, please. Please pray for M- Jeanette and me. Jeanette, wonderful. So uh, let us pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, as, we, as you call us to different ventures, you call us uh, of places we don't know what's going to happen, but we do know that you are with us. I pray for Pastor McFadden and his beloved bride Jeanette, especially for her that you bring healing to her body. You bring strength to Pastor McFadden and to their whole family that their eyes may continue to be upon you. I especially ask for your blessing upon them as they watch their grandchildren, what a joy that is for them, but also can be exhausting. Give them strength and and hope that is found in you as they continue to serve in all their vocations, knowing that you are with them. I also pray for our study this morning, that our eyes may be upon you, that you would turn our hearts back to you, and that you may reveal to us the grace that you give to us, especially in our Lord Jesus." Bless our time and your word and your son's name, we pray. Amen. Are you still there, Pastor? Sorry. I am. Okay, all right, all right. Absolutely. Well, today, today we are in a very um, very familiar text. Actually, I wanted to say this too. This is one of those times, as a kid, I'll fully admit, and I've admitted this before that I wasn't very good at listening. One, my dad's a pastor, so I didn't really want to listen very much um, when he would preach and so forth. In Sunday school, I was more interested in the donuts than I was the Bible. Um, but this is one I remember my mother reading to me in the old Arch books, that comes from Concordia Publishing House. And I just remember the visual of it. I remember the water. I remember the fire. I remember all of that as a kid. But it's a very, very good story uh, for us to know, a true story that happened in history, very familiar, but also something that we probably always need to look at with fresh eyes so that we don't think, oh, I know that one already. I'm just going to move on. So, Pastor, what are some, uh, what's leading us up to this point? And what are some themes that you want to highlight to help us out this morning?
1: Well, I don't want us to forget at the end to bring in Jesus because there's some great connections uh, to our Lord Jesus Christ that come out of this story. But if you look at it, it begins with Elijah versus Ahab. And I like the way one person put it. Now, are we going to say Baal or Baal? What do you want to I usually say, say
0: bail i used to say bail so it's okay. up to you whatever you want to okay do.
1: it was yeah. it was uh one person said it was bail against the lord god of israel winner take all stakes were high religious destiny of god's people hanging in the balance in one corner was Baal, the storm god of the canaanites and all of his backers uh, and you have 22 score and 10 prophets on the government's payroll on the <laughs> other side in the other corner stood the lord god of heaven with one prophet, Elijah. And he begins with chastening and laying out the contest. And then we've got Elijah and the prophets. We got the shouting, the sarcasm, the suffering and the silence. Then God speaks. And he speaks with fire from heaven and a flood from heaven. And this is one of the most dramatic scenes in the entire Bible.
0: Well, then you've you've hit the jackpot. You've hit the jackpot. And it, and it, I
1: have, and it takes, it takes, I have been on top of Mount Carmel, uh, probably a half dozen times, and it is, uh, it overlooks the Jezreel Valley. It overlooks the, the Valley of Armageddon, if you will. But wow. up there on Mount Carmel, you're you're just uh, uh, you know uh, a couple of miles away from the Mediterranean to the west, but you've got this 13 mile long range of um, Mount Carmel, and going up to it, you have Druze villages today, and uh, up on top, you've got this very dramatic uh, statue of Elijah uh slaying the prophets and it's just it is a very interesting place because it's a it it's a it's a geographic division between the north toward the Phoenicians and the Sidonians. Of course Ahab got his wife Jezebel from the king of Sidon and then to the south uh you have toward the Philistines along the coast and uh, uh the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, on the south side, so it's a it's a very it's a very dramatic location and it's a very strategic one because the prophets of bale believe this is his this is his home base Mount Carmel, and so this is in every way playing on on the the other team's uh, 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 home advantage.
0: Ah, okay, okay. So that's a good point that that was bale's uh, place to be, and it was, uh, okay, yeah, so this is good, goes in an analogy you're talking about, one corner here, one corner there, and the crowd is cheering for the 850 yeah. prophets, the the, the Baal, um, even Dr. Meyer says it very well in his commentary, this wasn't a Baal, because there is no bail, but it was Satan versus God, basically, yeah, is how we exactly, want to see exactly. this. Exactly, and, and the Phoenicians
1: believe this was a sacred dwelling place for Baal, so it's a, mm. it's a very important place. Wow very good well, uh as we
0: look at this today, reminder to our listeners if you have any questions based on our text k f u o at k f u o dot org send us an email k f u o at k f u o dot org anything else you want to highlight before we dig in uh
1: d- just the fact that you've got two rather interesting silences. You have a silence of doubt in verse 21 when Elijah challenges them and he says, Are you going to limp along between uh, two perspectives, two views, two gods, the real God and the no God? And and they respond with other utter silence. And then you have the silence that comes when the prophets of Baal try to summon him to do his thing and nothing happens. He is mute, he is deaf, he is dumb, he is non existent. So you have two great silences right there in, in those early verses.
0: Oh, that's very really good. And here, I want to make this connection, and I want to hear what your thoughts are too, is because there are times in the Bible where things need to be silent. You know, that we we need to be silent in our understanding of we don't understand why God did this. And this is Job when his three friends show up, right? Seven days basically saying nothing and that's that's part of our christian life that's where sometimes we need to be silent and just be there for each other maybe prayer or so forth but then there are times like this where silence means that truth is not being told because the the thing right. that they thought was true was not true. And that's why we confess. We're confessing, church. We confess the truth. And that's where we do speak. Silence is not an option um, for us as Christians, especially for Elijah. But he doesn't have to speak all day. He doesn't need to pray all day. It's a simple prayer, and no. boom, it happens. For them, they had nothing else to say because it wasn't the truth. Any thoughts on that? Pete.
1: Yeah, uh they prayed all morning until he be- and then at, at noon he starts to mock them and then they they go another 3 hours with their frenzied <laughs> ritual and then then he gets ready and his prayer is 1 minute long. He prays 1 minute long, they pray for 6 hours, they hear nothing, he hears the uh the voice of God coming through uh both the fire and the flood. Wow.
0: Very good. So let's dig in. We'll go through this slowly. And my challenge to you once again to our listeners is you've heard it before. You've read the arch book. You've heard it in Sunday school. But once again, let's go through this slowly. And obviously you can tell Pastor McFadden's done his homework today. So let's make sure that we go through it and we, well, at the end, and we'll make sure maybe she even Maybe we should send us an email just making sure that we get this back to Jesus. So let's start here. Reminder to our listeners we're reading from the English Standard Version of 1 Kings chapter 18, starting in the 20th verse. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him and the people did not answer him a word then elijah said to the people i am even excuse me i even i only am left a prophet of the lord but baal's prophets are 450 men i want to stop there just to make sure we're on the same page so ahab uh, this is this is interesting to me and i want to get some of your thoughts um is ahab sends all the people there i mean was ahab um uh, confident in this? Was he thinking this was going to work out well? Or just kind of a strange thing. So any thoughts on these uh, these uh, three verses here?
1: Well, Throughout history, there's been a tendency to think that uh, uh, you want to hedge your bets. And the ultimate hedging your bet is not to have God alone, but God and. And for mm-hmm. Ahab, it's God and Baal. And he thinks that uh, one way or the other, he's going to be just fine. And uh, there, there does seem to be the confidence. He invites the, the crowds to come. He's got 850 on his side, and Elijah is just little lonesome Elijah and uh now obviously there's more uh on god's side than elijah we heard about obadiah in the previous chapter who mm-hmm. was uh who looked out for the uh the prophets of god uh kind of on the fly. but the only public person who's going to stand up against that 850 uh the the pro- prophets of Asherah, the consort of baal and the 450 uh prophets of baal is going to be elijah and it it reminds me of the fellow who uh was in a hospital, and uh, he wanted to be seen by the pastor, the priest, and the rabbi just to make sure he covered his bets and ahab 's covering his bets
0: and that's, uh, that was an interesting aspect that i, I, I always thought about this, but it wasn 't like people were like, "Hey, we are Baal worshipers, and then you're over there are Yahweh worshipers. there seems to be a, a very strong we're kind of doing both. We're kind of, we're worshiping both. Jeroboam kind of did this in chapter 12. Jezebel obviously was a Baal person, but it seemed like the culture and those, uh, what, is, what was it called? Like a Yahwism, um, kind of yeah. a misnomer where both at the same time, how would we, is that something that you, you saw as well? Oh, in that I, we,
1: see that, we see that all the time in our culture too. Uh, it, was, it was a little over 25 years ago. One of the great divinity schools in the United States, uh, opened their new chapel, and they dedicated it as an all faith chapel to Hindus, Jews, Catholics, Protestants, Muslims, Baha'i, and Orthodox Christians. And they have little; they had little uh, closets for each one of the faiths. So if you were a Jew, you could go to your closet and bring out your menorah. Uh, if you were a Christian, you could go to your closet and bring out Bibles and crosses and 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 whatever. And th- it, it ever since the garden. Uh, you know, we, you know, we Lutherans like to speak of enthusiasm and we don't mean getting excited. We mean that sense of, of looking inward and in our own religious experience. We, we exalt religious experience over truth. And, and in our culture, there's a lot of, of mixing and matching and, you know, those bumper stickers that say coexist on them that have all the, the faiths together and there's that, So we still have that same uh, limping between God's walking the fence today, just like they did then.
0: Mm hmm yeah and that and that that manifests when you see a bumper sticker or like nearby our church here we have a big flag that says coexist, and every one of the letters is kind of a is a symbol of a different religion which um yeah. I mean it can mean that we should be able to live in harmony as a culture, which I think we would agree with, yeah, I mean I should be sure, respectful sure. to my neighbor, but also I think it has a stronger message, which is basically we're all the same. any thoughts on that
1: but we're we're going to see very, very soon, though, that uh, uh, our God, Brooks, no rivals. He's fiercely jealous for his name because he's jealous that his people would would know the truth and would know the one who is the truth. Uh, deaf, dumb, and blind gods can't bring you forgiveness. They can't <laughs> save you. Only the true God, the God of Israel, the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He's the only one who delivers forgiveness and delivers salvation. Uh, you know, Woody Allen, you know, once had a, a mocking comment where he said that in America, uh, we want a little bit of God and a little bit of carpet, meaning the the luxuries that go with uh, middle-class life, the, the furniture, appliances, sound systems, big screen TVs, and the rest of it. And I love the, the comment that, that one commentator made about that. Any God who will share his throne with carpet has little to do with the God of the Bible. And uh, our God is our God is a is a jealous God for his own name. And that's what we're going to see here uh, when it's uh, Baal versus God. We'll see who wins. Uh, You know, it was it was Luther's uh, uh, one time colleague, Karlstadt, who said, "Uh, God is as small in me as my reverence of idols is great. And that's pretty accurate.
0: Absolutely. Oh, that's really good. And and that I mean. I'm trying to catch up with all the great sayings you have here. Deaf, dumb, and blind, uh, blind gods can't give you forgiveness. I, I wrote that down. That's really good. Um,
1: did you get that from somebody else? I don't remember to tell you the truth. <laughs> okay, gotcha. I think I kind of <laughs> caught that one up on the uh, on the fly. But, but gotcha. you get a lot of those same themes. And uh, certainly Dr. Meyer of the seminary here in Fort Wayne uh, has had some great things to say about First Kings. And so it may, it may be echoing something he said. I'm not sure.
0: Absolutely, it, well, it definitely is, and this is a call to repentance. This is not Elijah saying, "Well, you can have this God and you can have that God." He's very clear, and that's an important thing for you, our listeners, and for for us every single day. You know, whom you gonna whom you gonna serve? You know, who are the one? Are we limping around trying to have different ideologies? Or are we going to worship the one true God? And that's a good good reminder for all of us because there is truth. There is one true God and it is found in our Lord Jesus. And I think this is a good reminder for us and a call to faith once again. So let's continue. I'm going to reread verses 22 and go to verse 24 as the showdown begins. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left the prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bowls be given to us and let them choose one bowl for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bowl and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God. And I will call upon the name of the Lord Yahweh and the Lord who answers by fire. He is God. And all the people answered. It is well spoken. So Elijah kind of lays down the groundwork for the battle. Um, what are your thoughts?
1: Well, he's he, you know they're doing it as I said before on Mount Carmel, which is Bale's home home base. And the idea of fire from heaven is his speciality, if you will. Uh, if you look at uh, pictures in Wikipedia or, or you Google pictures of Baal, you'll see the classic uh, one of him standing with a with a lightning bolt in his hand. And the idea of Baal of. Uh, uh, starting a fire i mean that's that's sort of his that's like his main trick and if he can do anything he can start a fire I meaning you know i'm sure the worshippers of baal hoped he could do a few other things he was a fertility god and he brought wa- he brought the rains he brought he brought the good weather and all the rest of it but in their mind uh his his specialty was was thunderbolts from heaven and so if he couldn't uh hit the hit the altar with a a a bit of lightning and start a fire then he couldn't do anything and that's kind of that kind of lies behind the the idea if Baal can do anything at all he can certainly light this fire
0: so so elijah is really setting the tone to say okay They could easily say, um, he took the good sacrifice. That's why it went, you know, he took the good bull, you know, so he says, no, you choose one, you know, you choose both of them, and then whatever one you want, and I'll take the the sloppy seconds, if you will. Um, Mm -hmm. This is your home turf. He called it, go to Mount Carmel. He he uses basically, okay, your God is good at this. I mean, he's laying the groundwork so they cannot say, we did not, you know, you you were unfair or you had the advantage right. the whole time. No, he's doing it all on their turf. I guess I've never really noticed that as much until I read it this time. Other thoughts?
1: No, that you're you're absolutely right. And uh, the myths surrounding Baal, uh, uh, you know, they, they you know, he's a he's a God that travels with the sailors on the water. He's a God that brings fertility to the land. And uh, it'll be interesting seeing how that plays into the taunting that Elijah does in a couple of minutes.
0: And it's also ironic in the whole whole setting of this because in chapter 16 or 17 you hear of that there's a drought so this fertility God this God that should be able to produce from the fields who should be able to bring water to everything um is not producing i mean bale's not doing well in this three and a half years of drought and famine so it's even more interesting as you think of it that way is that there's not been rain so this god is not only failing um but maybe he's not even good at doing doing fire in the midst of all this so he's yeah. kind of covering all the bases bale's not producing anything any thoughts
1: that's right yeah, yeah. Well, and, and uh, the backdrop, uh, the passage you looked at uh, yesterday, uh, carried the idea, the hint that uh, uh, in Ahab's mind, this is Elijah's fault. Elijah has insulted Baal. Elijah has offended Baal. And Elijah's the one who's responsible for Baal uh, taking a hiatus from uh, helping the people. And so you've got a little bit of that Ahab Elijah thing going too. Right. It's kind of like. And, uh, and what, Eli- what uh, Elijah is going to do is he's going to pull back the curtain and expose Bale as a fraud and a huckster. And the mockery that comes up in a little bit is just, you know, it, it reminds me of pulling back the, the curtain in The Wizard of Oz. Uh, oh. Everyone, uh, Dorothy and her gang were afraid of the, the great wizard till they pulled back the curtain and realized he was a fraud and a huckster. And, and Elijah is doing that on a big scale. He's pulling back the the uh, cosmic curtain to show us that uh, there is no God, but the true God, Yahweh. Wow.
0: It's kind of like, uh, yeah, so so Ahab is really great at blaming Elijah for everything, when the reality is, and Elijah says it, it's your fault. It's not mine. I mean, you're the one following other gods and all of this. It's kind of like a pastor after a Sunday sermon telling the congregation, by the way, I'm disappointed in the sermon that I gave, and it's your fault. <laughs> Wait a second. Uh, This this isn't my fault at all. Yeah. So anyways, and then he lays a groundwork at the end, verse 24, that it's all on their, this is on their turf and on their scenario. And they say, yep, it is well-spoken. What you say makes sense to us. And they obviously are thinking, we got this. You know, he's laid Mm -hmm. this out for us and we have no problem whatsoever. So um, shall we move on? Please. All right. 25 to 29. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, and put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of of the oblation, and there was no voice. No one answered. No one Paid attention. Now, Pastor, we have about a minute left, and a minute and a half until our break. So, what are your first thoughts as uh, they they prayed well, to
1: bail? If uh, if I can say this without offending some people that like a different style uh, of worship, this was hardly a boring worship service. All the singing, dancing, slashing, shouting—imagine. How was that service at Carmel? It was awesome. It went on for hours. There was a huge worship team up on the mountain, blood everywhere, 450 prophets singing, Come on, Baal, light my fire. They're just going crazy. <laughs> and it all boils down to that last verse you read No, no, no. There was no voice, no one answered. Uh, and then later on, when it says the, the blood rushed, uh, verse 29. As the midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, 3 o'clock. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. No, no, no. Threefold declaration emphasizing the complete act, lack of response by bail.
0: As you said, deaf, dumb, and blind gods cannot give you forgiveness. But right now we need to take our break. We are studying First Kings chapter 18 with Pastor Dennis McFadden, and we'll be right back. And welcome back. We are studying 1 Kings chapter 18 with Pastor Dennis McFadden. And as we uh, have took our, taken our break, we do have a question, Pastor, and I want to ask you your thoughts. Here they talk about a temple that they had made or an altar, or an altar, excuse me. Was there already a, a temple or altar there? Was this a place where they would already do sacrifices? Do you have any insight on that?
1: Well, yes. Uh the, the 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 Old Testament tells us that God uh chooses to be worshipped uh in a central place. And there's a, a lot of, of emphasis on, on centralizing worship in the Old Testament. But there also are also passages that speak of, of exceptions and necessary occasions when uh when an altar uh can be uh legitimately used in other places in Israel. Uh, away from Jerusalem, and uh, uh, this uh, evidently was an altar erected to Yahweh, to God, and it had been destroyed, we don't know who did it, possibly Ahab's people, uh, Jezebel's people uh, had destroyed it uh, to make sure people focused on Baal, not upon upon the true God, yeah. and uh, Elijah is going to repair it, if you will, on the spot before he calls down the fire from heaven. Oh, that's but interesting. There are, uh, and yeah. I don't have the – I don't have the – I, I noticed them yesterday, and I, I can't find them in my notes. But there are passages that talk about it being legitimate to to have a, uh, an altar in other places uh, for special occasions. So, but I can't gotcha. remember where that is.
0: I remember reading something along those lines as well. So That's very helpful. Thank you. So, so yeah. like you said, this was quite the um, – Quite the show. I mean, this was like going to a big rock concert and you are seeing everything. All the, all the lights, all the smoke, everything. 850 prophets chanting for hours to bail. Eventually they're like, wait, this isn't working. And so, and, but then, but then they reveal their view of God. In verse 27, they say either he's musing or relieving himself or on a journey or maybe he is sleeping. Um, so let's do this. How does this show us how they viewed Baal and how God operated? Well,
1: well the, the the sarcasm here is is really trench because what he's doing is is he's picking up elements of the Baal myth and he's he's Turning it around to mock those elements, and so the idea of of Baal being on a journey, uh, seafarers, Phoenicians were a seafaring people. They believed that Baal went with them on their on their journeys, uh, and so uh, uh, Elijah is turning some of the core beliefs of Baalism on their head and using it as mockery and sarcasm uh, to suggest that, well, no, he isn't on a, maybe he's not on a journey with sailors. He's off in the toilet. He's, he's, he's sleeping. He can't get up. And the fact that they were in a frenzied action here, uh, that's that same word in the hebrew we heard earlier uh when it talked about them limping between two opinions now we have that word again being used to refer to the fact that they're 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 in this frenzied uh ritualized uh worship service and uh the thing about it though that uh, i guess uh, pastor finnern that i'd want to note is don't get too high and mighty about looking at the failure that they have uh okay notice uh i mean psalm 135 said the idols of the nations are silver and gold the work of human hands they have mouths but they don't speak they have eyes but they don't see they have ears but they don't hear nor is there any breath in their mouths but today uh we have people chasing the idols of success selling their souls to climb the corporate ladder and get awards and promotions we have people selling their souls to the idol of pleasure uh, pampering themselves, whether it's with food or sensuality or sexuality, uh, or, or experiences like a concert. We have people that worship the state and put their confidence in political solutions. We have people who worship physical beauty and think that the be-all and end-all is going to be the latest body wax or or how ripped they are. We have people that worship control, and they they think that if they could just have control over their environment and the people in it, uh, they'll have security. And all these things can become gods. And the problem is whether it's money, uh, time, and loyalty that we devote to anything other than uh, fear, love, and trusting the true God is an idol. And these false gods, as I said before, they don't hear, they don't speak, they don't, they don't forgive, and they certainly cannot save us. And, uh, and that's, so that brings it into our time from their time, I guess.
0: Absolutely. I mean, the, the same line, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? Um, definitely yeah. affects us today. Um, and it's so easy. And I, I like how you turned that around for us because it's so easy to look at them and go, well, how what? what they're, they're shedding blood for this? I mean, don't they know that Jesus shed their blood for them kind of thing? And, and we kind of mock it. And at the same time, um, which obviously points us to Jesus and this whole thing, um, but at the same time, we realize our own. Um, sacrifices that we make that have nothing to do with God. And we're fear, loving and trusting um, in other things above the one true God uh, so often. So it is a call to repentance for all of us. No doubt about it. Um, Last thoughts before we move on. Nope. All right, let's go on verses 30 through 35. So we've, we've seen what they've done. Six hours of prayer, shedding of blood. And at the end of it all, it is crickets in the background. Now we're 30 to 35. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord Yahweh that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel should be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two seas of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bowl in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. So now now it's Elijah's turn. And what does Elijah do?
1: He, he, what he does is he makes it as difficult as possible. Uh, <laughs> this is not going to be something that is simple. He says, fine, uh, let's let's just make sure it's good and wet. I don't want anyone accusing me of, of pulling a trick here. Well, yeah, let's do it again, uh, uh, maybe a third time. And let's make sure there's plenty of water so it fills mm-hmm. a trench around the, the altar. And, uh, you know, it's going to be the most convincing scene possible.
0: And he also does great symbolism. I mean, this is something that we tried to do in our churches, but the 12 stones, what is he trying to tell people with those 12 stones?
1: Well, uh, the, uh, despite the fact that after Solomon's death, uh, the kingdom split into two, uh, the 12 stones were a practical way of saying that God intended his people to be one people. And they were made up of the 12 tribes that inherited the land as a gift and heritage from the Lord. And so he had one stone for each of the twelve tribes, even though they were in a state of division for a uh, hundred years at this time. Because this is we're, we're looking at around uh, the 850s. Uh, B.C. right now, and Solomon is, is long gone, and uh, they are, and the split of the kingdom is gone. So somewhere between 50 and 100 years earlier, they had seen the kingdom split, but God is still declaring Israel, my Israel. And we're going to get that in a second, too, because usually um, they, we refer to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but here it doesn't use the name Jacob, it uses the name Israel, uh, and of course, Jacob at the Peniel, uh, Jacob at the Jabbok River, uh, wrestled with the angel of the Lord all night, and said, "I will not let you go unless you bless me." And and the angel blesses him uh, by wounding his his hip, and says, "You have a new name. Your name is Israel, for you have contended or fought with God." And that word Israel means either God fights, or fight with God. And uh, and so it's it's Abraham, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, the whole people, uh, all of the tribes together. So there's a lot of symbolism in this.
0: It's wonderful. And I I love how he does that, because it reminds me when we as a, as a church or as as God's people that when there's conflict, because there will be conflict and when there is issue. One of the best things to do is that we point people back to God. I mean, that's why we worship. That's why we study the scriptures. And and that's what he's doing here is he's basically saying, okay, if we're going to look at Israel and Judah, well, we're going to have some problems because there's problems there. If we're going to look at, we're going to look at, you know, how well did we do um, with the Israelites and and the 12 tribes and Joseph and all, we're just going to lose. But what he does is he puts to 12 um, stones there, and he speaks about to whom the word of the Lord came, and that that 's he 's pointing them back our focus here why we 're here as a church, this is why we 're here as the Lord, not our history, not our successes. We're here because of the Lord, and that's what he's doing. We're here because of these 12 stones here point us to the Lord, not ourselves. And by the way, I don't know. Can we make a baptismal connection here? I don't know. I, I love talking to the old Baptist guys and finding out if we can make a baptismal <laughs> connection here. What do you think?
1: Well, it's, uh, uh, you, you are. I spent 58 years as a Baptist, so I've, I've only been a Lutheran for nine years. Uh, Luther, Luther saw connection. He he uh, he said uh, uh, when Elijah's sacrifice was consumed by fire, that was a manifestation of of divine mercy to these wretched people. So they wouldn't be without the light of the grace of God. And then he went on to say that the word, baptism, and the Eucharist are our light bearers today, uh, our tokens of the Son of Grace. And he said that we can state with certainty that where the Eucharist, baptism, and the Word are, there is Christ, forgiveness of sins, and eternal life. And where those signs aren't, uh, or where they're despised, there's no grace, but only error, and uh, the worship that people set up for themselves. And so, yeah, Luther saw the... not just the water, but the fire, all of it, is, was a true manifestation of divine mercy on these wretched people. And uh, baptism today, uh, where t- Peter says, baptism now saves us. And uh, hmm. yes, I, I believe that firmly, that there's a, there is the, the water here uh, is, is quite symbolic. Wonderful. Yeah, wonderful. What Thank is you later for... true in the New Testament. It's a Absolutely. foreshadowing, if you will.
0: I love it. Yeah, Yeah, I love it. I love the connection that you that you continually make in our program. And and with it comes this reality that he's setting the tone to prove that this God is not deaf, dumb or blind, that he is a God who speaks. He is a God who hears. He is a God who cares. And uh, he's setting it up that, you know, if he can make it through this, then obviously he's able to save us. So let's keep reading here. 36 to 40. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, as you said, Israel, let it be known this day that you are the God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah broke them down to the brook, Kishon, and slaughtered them there. So uh, run us down. What happens from here?
1: Well, the first thing is you see a rather spectacular display of God's power. And it's important to remember, uh, God does not engage in acts of dramatic intervention, uh, for the purpose of human sensationalism. They, they are attestations, if you will, they're, they're proofs, they're, they're evidences of his great redemptive acts. And, uh, as we look back on this one uh we're reminded that god is his own proof and we can we can dispel people's bad ideas and their poor logic and their their stupid reasons not to believe but we can't create faith only god can and uh, he's his own proof and he proves his own existence uh elijah helped dispel uh and disprove baal but uh he didn't in reality prove god god did that himself and uh he falls in in a mighty way uh on on that offering and consumes it entirely despite the fact that from a natural perspective it was impossible it had been drenched in water not once not twice but three times uh and yet and it it turned into flame uh in a way that uh, bales did not and then you see the response of uh of uh uh, Elijah, when he says, "Seize them and slay them," and uh, we see the retribution on the idolatry, and and uh, you know, it's interesting. Even the word "slay" there is the and it took place down in the in the Kishon Brook area, down at the foot of the the north side of the Mount Carmel range, and uh, you know, it's almost as if uh, let the brook run with blood. Uh, after it was dry for all these years, because of god 's judgment on their idolatry and uh, it uh, it 's a rather dramatic rather dramatic scene actually
0: it is, and I want to get to that uh, uh, because dr Dr. Newer had a good quote on that yesterday. I do want to say this first so keep 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 this in mind as you as you keep that i want to go back to that is he says here um, in verse thirty seven that there is a very deep heart that there's a heart that Elijah has for the people to know the Lord. Because in verse thirty seven yeah. he says, Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. That that there's an evangelistic understanding here that he's doing this not for the sake of just proving and destroying people. He's not, he's not there to prove this and go, oh, see, I'm better than all of you. Now let me have power over you. But there's an evangelistic understanding. And I think it goes with that. And Dr. Meyer talks about in verse 36 that Elijah the prophet, it says Elijah the prophet. It's the only time in first Kings that it says that. Um, otherwise, it just yeah. says Elijah. And that's a proof that yeah. he is trying to proclaim the truth um, for the care of people's souls so that they may believe in the one true God. That was a fascinating aspect of this because I've always seen it as like a power play. Yeah, we have all the power, but he had a deep heart for the people of whom he was um, before that day. Any thoughts? Uh,
1: well, yeah. It, the, the the main one is that it it mirrors the reaction Jesus has uh, eight hundred and fifty years later when uh, in or almost nine hundred years later, when uh, he deals with the Pharisees who are he considers false teachers. He is incredibly harsh and calls them whitewashed tombs and and hypocrites mm-hmm. and and that. But when he's dealing with a woman taken in adultery, uh, he is incredibly gentle and patient and tender. And you see in Elijah's prayer both uh, his intolerance for idolatry that led the people astray and his willingness to invoke the most severe sanction possible on those who are false teachers of the people. At the same time, this earnest pleading with God uh, to act in a way that will turn the people's hearts back to the Lord. And uh, you know, it was a it, there was a great Old Testament uh, professor uh, who lived, uh, gosh, a hundred and some years ago, who made the comment: without Moses, the religion of Yahwism uh, would never have been born, and without Elijah, it would have died. Oh, Elijah sure. is fighting for the destiny of God's people. He's fighting for uh, the name of God among the people of God that they would quit. They're foolish, chasing after deaf, dumb, and blind idols and turn their hearts to be inclined toward the living, living God uh, who is merciful and gracious and who offers forgiveness to all uh, freely and abundantly. And you see and that this, kind of, you know, in that prayer.
0: And I, I love you kind of you have a uh, Elijah as a type of Christ. Um, type of language here, which I think is very, mm-hmm. very, very helpful as we look at Elijah, and then it brings me. We have, I wanted to just take a, two minutes on this at the most, but if someone comes to you and says, "What Elijah, the loving and caring evangelist, says, now go and seize the prophets and slaughter them," as you said that the water may be uh, mixed with blood that goes through the the Kishon River. Um, yeah. How would you do, how would you tell somebody that and pastorally well, uh, I, follow through with that? I, I, I,
1: I don't have any, <laughs> I don't have any more magic answers than you do on that, but I would notice that, that Jesus was the greatest teacher of love. And he was even more severe in his forecast about what would happen to, to false teachers in the future. It'd be better for them to have a millstone around their neck and be cast sure. into the depths of the sea. And you don't get a worse fate than hell. And Jesus is rather picturesque in describing what will happen to those false teachers who lead astray his people. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's contrasted, it's always contrasted with the You know, uh, the fact that that is not God's, you know, it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to a knowledge of the truth. And so his hope is that everyone would repent, to trust in him and to follow him. And so even the terrors of threats are presented not to torture people, but to wake them up. Uh, The law wakes us up and the gospel gives us the, you know, gives us the solution.
0: And pastor newer said a very good quote he said the bible is dripping with blood is how we talked about it yeah, and yeah. i think that was a very good way of describing the scriptures because it not only one shows the consequences of sin especially for those who were supposed to be prophets of the truth and were leading people astray that's part of the consequences of their sin that there's deep consequences there but also clearly points us to the blood of jesus that forgives all sins because he is not deaf, dumb or blind, but he sees and he, and he, um, and he hears and he proclaims all of those things to and, us.
1: So, and he becomes the substitute who mm-hmm. sheds his own blood. He right. gives himself up, uh, for mm-hmm. us all. And so, uh, yes, there are penalties to those who reject the truth, but ultimately the one who bore the penalty of hell itself is Jesus Christ. And he bore it all for us. He bled for us. He died for us. And so uh, we see the greater shedding of blood is the blood shed by Jesus uh, as a substitutionary uh, atonement for us.
0: Let's continue on. We have about, four, about five minutes left. 41 to okay. finish it out. And Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel and he bowed himself to the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to a servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go again, seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And a little while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind. And there was a great rain and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So drought was upon them. famine was upon them three and a half years. And now God has answered the prayers. Uh, tell us a little bit. You find any gems in these
1: verses? Well, I'll tell you the you already referenced uh uh one of the one of our great uh teachers in our in our synod, and that's uh, Dr. Meyer, and uh, he makes an interesting connection here. He connects it to uh persistent prayer in Luke eighteen and the way Elijah uh humbles himself, he gets he puts his head between his knees and he's interceding. Uh, there uh, with the Lord, and he prays fervently and persistently. And it's uh, it's an example of the principle that Jesus talks about in Luke 18 about persistent prayer. And when we pray continually and persistently, we are continually in the Word of God, uh, who reveals to us salvation. When we pray persistently, we do so so that God will mold our own wills to his will, When we pray persistently, we are also doing it so that God will work in us patience. I mean, I've had times I've prayed and didn't get the answer I was hoping for and prayed again and prayed again, and and God uses that to produce patience. Uh, When we pray uh, persistently, uh, God grants us peace. But finally, when we pray persistently... Uh, God is the God who, unlike the prophet Baal, I mean, the the, the so-called idol of Baal, uh, he isn't deaf, dumb, and blind. He does hear, and because he hears, and because he loves us, and because he is good and gracious, he answers our prayers. And that's exactly what God did mm-hmm. for Elijah.
0: So let's do this. We have two minutes. Pastor, how would you connect Jesus to this story, this oh. true story in Holy Scripture?
1: Well, uh, in a sense, this con- this conflict, this contest between God and Baal foreshadows the ministry of Christ on earth and the way he defeated Satan and demons, resisting every temptation that they tried to throw at him. Uh, it also foreshadows his ultimate defeat of Satan uh, by his death on the cross and, and the statement, I, I saw Satan fall. It foreshadows the defeat of Satan that will come on the last day when uh all uh demonic hosts will have to uh be uh quiet before the living god and and his Christ who is risen and on that judgment day uh when the son of god returns with all power uh it, it you know paul says every knee will bow and every tongue confess that jesus christ is 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 exactly who he said he is satan devils everybody will confess jesus christ as lord and the response of the people here in in first kings 18 Yahweh is God well at the last judgment they'll declare Jesus is lord Jesus is God
0: well that's it's a wonderful reality as you as you said at the beginning there's so much Jesus that can be put here any last uh, how would you sum up this story also in scripture
1: well it's it it's a reminder to me that I uh despite the fact that I am a pastor, it's very easy to limp between two opinions. And it's very easy to compromise with the world. It's easy to compromise with the gods of my own imagination and to allow uh ego to get in the way. And it's a reminder of, of what Luther taught us in the catechism that the that our goal is to fear, love, and trust God above all things. And uh Elijah demonstrates that in a very dramatic way in this most dramatic passage.
0: Pastor Dennis McFadden of Fort Wayne, Indiana, given a strength by God's Word from the powerful words of First Kings chapter eighteen. Pastor McFadden, first of all, uh, the Lord bless you and your and your bride as she recovers, and your time with your grandkids. But also, thank you for being our guest.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I enjoyed it.
0: Saints of our Lord, Elijah was the last prophet and he preached the truth. I mean, imagine this, 850 prophets on the one side, you on the other side, and everyone is definitely mocking him. But he preached the truth because there's not many gods. There's one God. We're not to to waver between two ideologies. We are to look on the way, the truth, and the life. And we pray that our Lord would help us to teach the truth, no matter how few of us there are around. And as we see this story, we see Jesus. And may he bring that to us today to remind us that he is the truth, the way, and the life. And he's the one that saves. I'm your host, Brady and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.